Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Ever feel like you're falling apart? Hey, before we get into the message today, there are a couple of announcements that I, I want to make with us. And if you take your bulletin, I want you to look at a couple of flyers that are in there. And then we'll make our transition uh, over to our message. First of all, this uh, coming Sunday is the uh, last Sunday that uh, Andrea and Derek will be, be with us. So we want to have a special day and farewell for them. We're going to do that with a kind of a potluck dinner. You'll see what's going to be provided uh, sandwiches, chips, and all of that, and you can see what you can sign up for outside the office, and we would encourage you to, to be able to do that. Also, we're going to combine this with kind of a baby shower as well at the same time. So there's two places where she's registered. One is at Amazon Baby Registry, and the other one is Bye Bye Baby. Now, I don't know why you'd name it Bye Bye Baby, like you're saying goodbye. Or the, should be Hello, Hello, Baby. But anyway, those are the two registry places that you can register at, so we want you to be aware of that. Uh, really appreciate the, the labor of love that they have served with us. And also, if you look at another flyer, it's all about Rebecca Lynn. As we were talking to her, she's going to fill in as an interim kind of worship leader starting the 17th. I was so impressed with her philosophy and her function of ministry that I really wanted to include that so you can kind of get a feel for how she approaches worship. And I got a little information there, so let's continue to pray for her as she uh, makes that transition, comes to help lead us in our worship. And also want to remind all of the leaders of their different teams of our meeting on the 17th after the morning service, it'll be extremely important that you're able to meet together with us as we look through this transition time. Now, yes. Oh, there's a note at the bottom of this card if you would rather not attend the shower, bring some outdoor games. We have two cornhole games ready to play and enjoy time together that way. So men, you might not want to go to the shower part so we can go out and play cornhole. I guess that's kind of the, the idea. Hey, how many of you have ever picked up one of Kathy's blogs? I just want to remind you that there's going to be one out again this week. She's been working on them even though uh, she's not here during the week. She's going to have that available, so you want to make sure that you catch that together. So we're making a transition from the communion to the message. The communion, the bread, was all about grace. Not only was it broken in grace, the one who broke it is grace. And the same with the cup. The cup was set before the men there in the upper room. It was set by grace. It was that third cup in the Passover meal, the cup of redemption, which comes through grace. And again, the one who served it was grace. I just got a, a note this morning before this message that Madeline Barlow is in her last days. She's comatose. She's about 101 or 102 and I'm thinking about she entered life without grace, with a spirit that was dead, 
towards God. But as she came to faith, she entered the kingdom of God by grace. And one day she's going to leave and enter the kingdom eternally, all by grace. And in between that, being born again, being becoming a Christian, and going home is where we live by grace. It's easy to come into grace. It's easy to go out by grace. The hard part is living by grace between those two events. And that's really what we want to focus in on over the next few weeks as we continue in this series on grace. We said grace is that which changes us. It's that which transforms us. And if we're in a place where we're looking for change, you're not going to find it in the world or in yourself. Certainly you're going to not find it in any of those places. You're going to find it in Jesus. And that transformation that we're looking for to change us from who we are to what we can become is also going to come by grace. So today's study, number six, is living for the one who died for us. Now, how do we do that? How do we really live for the one, as Derek had talked about, has made that sacrifice and died for us? How do we do that? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 14 and 15, and then we'll pray. It tells us how to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. For the love of Christ compels. See, not duty, not obligation. Love compels us. Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. Why? That. Those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let's pray. We live by grace, Lord, according to this verse, for no longer living for ourselves, but living for the one who died for us. Father, help us to get a hold by your Holy Spirit and through your word, that concept. For me to live is Christ. That means grace. We don't live out of duty and obligation. We live out of gracious gratitude for the love of Christ which was bestowed upon us. It's all by grace. So, Lord, be the teacher this morning through the Holy Spirit, through your word. Bring us to your word. Change us, O oh God. May we go away somewhat different than what we entered here today because we saw grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past several weeks, we've looked at a lot of things about grace. We've seen that living by grace instead of works means that we are free from the performance treadmill. We're not here in our Christian life to perform. We've moved away from performance treadmill. 
We've also thought that God has already given you and me a full day's wage, even though we have not earned it or deserved it, or maybe only worked the last hour. We saw that we don't have to perform certain disciplines in order to earn God's approval. You cannot earn God's approval. We saw that we're loved and accepted by the merit of Christ. And not only are we loved and accepted by the merit of Christ, we are blessed through the merit of Jesus Christ. Every blessing comes by grace. Every approval of God comes from grace. Every acceptance comes from grace. And there's nothing that we can ever do that will make God love you more or less than he loves you right now. He loves you as much as he'll ever love you right now. And it's all by grace through Jesus Christ. And we cannot obligate God. Now, all of this presents a couple of problems. In fact, we're going to be looking at three problems that grace brings to us in our attitudes and in our response to grace. The first problem in our attitude and response to grace is license. We have a problem with license. Well, if the more we sin, the more God's grace is put upon us, then I'm going to go out and sin all I want to sin because I have license and liberty to live the way I want and God will forgive. The other problem we have in our attitude and the other problem we have in our response towards grace is liberty. If I don't have to pay anything for my sin, if it doesn't make any difference if I sin or not because God's going to cover it all, then I'm at liberty to live any way I want to live and God will still get me to heaven. The third problem that we have with this attitude and response towards grace is our motivation. If there's nothing I can do, if my effort's not going to earn me any favor or disfavor with God, whatever, then I'm afraid I'm going to slack off in my Christian life. I'm going to become undisciplined in my Christian life. I have to be a person that has to have a lot of rules and regulations and guidance in order for me to live the Christian life, and I'm going to slack off if I really live by grace. Now, it's interesting because the Bible tells us that the grace of God can be misunderstood, and it is. That it can be abused, and it is. In fact, if you go to Jude 4, it speaks of godless men who change the grace of God into license for immorality. Now, the solution to that problem and those things that we've just brought out is not legalism, folks. It's not adding rules and regulations to make his discipline to live by grace. It's just the opposite. The solution for us, then, is to be gripped by the boundless generosity of God. And as we're gripped by that boundless generosity, we respond to God out of gratitude, not obligation and not out of duty. So I just want you to ask yourself as you're sitting there, is your Christian life more out of duty and obligation or is it out of gracious response to God's graciousness towards you? See, what we've done wrong is we've taken our scriptures and we've added a lot of oughts. And so we have Christianity of oughts and a religion of oughts. I ought to do this. I ought not to do this. I ought to be more disciplined. I ought to be more committed. I ought to be more faithful. I need to be more obedient. I ought to. I ought to. I ought to. And so our whole Christian life is not on grace. It's all on I ought to. Or I shouldn't not ought to. See, when we think that way, 
then we're substituting duty and obligation for grace. Why did you come here this morning? You've heard about the story of the man who got up on Sunday and said, I don't feel like going to church. And the wife says, you got to go. He says, why? Why do I have to go? Well, first of all, you're a father, and you need to set an example to your children, and you, so you ought to go. Well, that's okay. What, what's another reason? Well, you're the pastor, and you ought to go. You probably heard that. But I really want you to ask yourself, is how you're living obligation? Is it duty? Or is it grace? See, what God is looking for is not duty. He's not looking for obligation. He doesn't want us to worship that way. He doesn't want us to serve Him that way. He's looking for a response to grace. And that's what we're going to begin to look at. Now, I want to be clear about something. When we talk about grace this morning, I want to balance that. Because, see, we still are to believe in and we're still to practice commitment. Just because we have grace doesn't mean that we don't practice commitment or discipline or obedience. You still have to have discipline. You still have to have obedience. You still have to have that commitment. Grace doesn't do away with that. You're still committed to submit to God, even if you're going to live by grace, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where He is Lord, first place, first priority in everything you do in your life. Grace doesn't do away with that. We're committed to be faithful to our wives. We're committed to be faithful in our business dealings and honest in our business dealings and to act in love towards everything. Grace does not do away with that. So, so pastor, how can you say it's not of works? Because I'm committed to these things out of a grateful response to what God has done, not because I've earned somehow God's blessing. If you're trying to earn God's blessing, you're going to be the most miserable Christian on the face of the earth. Because you can't earn it. It's a free gift. See, you cannot preach grace to the unsaved and then preach duty to the Christian. We talk about the gift of salvation. Then we talk about the cost of discipleship. And there is a cost of discipleship. I understand that. But what we convey is the idea that you enter the kingdom, you go in through the door by grace, but once you get inside the door of the kingdom, it's all sweat, blood, and tears. It's all works. And you have to perform. Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, I want you to hang on to that word, that you present yourselves as instruments of righteousness which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove by your life, by the way, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I need you to understand a little background here. Paul spends 11 chapters talking about grace before he ever gets and asks for a response to that grace in the 12th chapter. 
And what's interesting here is that he taught justification, being declared righteous, as coming by a free gift, by grace. But all we do to respond to that 11 chapters of grace is present ourselves. Yield yourself. Allow yourself to be transformed. See, God comes in grace, but we have to respond to that grace by our will. We have to present ourselves. So what he's asking here is a total commitment. See, grace doesn't do away with total commitment. He's asking for a total commitment by grace. And what that total commitment is, is that we simply present ourselves. God, here I am, as I am. I'm here by your grace. I'm saved by grace. Now allow me to be transformed by that same grace. The idea that he's saying here in, in Romans 12 is a perpetual sacrifice. See, because we have a will, we can crawl off that altar anytime we want. But he's saying perpetually make a choice of your will to stay on the altar by grace. He, grace puts you on that altar. Grace will remove you from that altar when it's time to go home. In the meantime, stay on the altar. Never neglect it. And never refuse it, or recall it, or quit. There is no quitting in the Christian life. How can you quit grace? You're in it, now live it. A constant dedication of our life, not out of duty and obligation, and because I've signed up and I've got a title, but because of grace. See, what consideration did God allow Paul to bring forward as a basis and a motivation for making a life of total commitment by grace? He did not appeal to duty. He did not appeal to obligation. He simply appealed to mercy. I serve God out of mercy. He didn't ask in the 12th chapter here, a response out of obligation, but one out of gratitude. Now, Martin Luther had this to say when commentating on, making a commentary on, on Romans chapter 12. He says, a law driver, now you've got to understand what he meant by a law driver. Push the law, push the law. Rules, 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 obligations. A law driver. And he understood that because it came out of the Catholic Church. And they had to do all these things to earn the favor of God. So he says, a law driver insists with threats and with punishment and penalties. But a preacher of grace lures and incites with divine goodness and compassion shown to us. Because God wants no unwilling workers. He wants joyful, delightful workers. Now let me ask you, how much joy do you have in serving God? What kind of a delightful worker are you in serving God? Or are you miserable? If you're miserable, you're not living by grace. You understand? That's a pretty good gauge. If you're miserable in your Christian life, you're not living by grace. See, we, we, can, we can live for God out of uh, the wrong motive, legalistic motive. Here's the two legalistic motives. Fear of consequences if I don't serve God. So the reason I'm serving God is because I fear the consequences. Or if I don't fear the consequences, 
I'm going to gain favor, so I'm going to do this to gain the favor of God. So those are the two motivations that we can have that God is not pleased with. I fear the consequences, I'm going to gain the favor of God. No, that's not how we're to live the Christian life here. It's not pleasing to God. Abraham Booth lived in the late 1700s. He's an English pastor. Now, I want you to get this. He says, to constitute a work to be truly good. Now, listen. It has to be done from a right principle performed by a right rule and intended for the right end. Otherwise, it's not good. Now, what's our right principle? God so loved the world. He so loved Ed. And I so love him. And I'm so grateful. The whole principle of the Christian life is love of God for me and my love for him. Now, what's the right rule? God's will as revealed in Scripture. If I'm not in this, in this I don't know what the will of God is. Do you know what the will I ask people like, I don't know. What's God want to do? I don't know. Then you must not be in the book. If you're in this book, you're going to know what God's will is. You can't help but know what God's will because he's going to speak to you about what. Now, if you're not in this, anything's up for grabs. It's what you want. It's what the world wants. It's what whatever the, the world is seeking. A higher education, a better wife, a better job, a better place to live. You know, it's money, things. Uh, you know, that, that's not the will of God. The will of God, I tell you what. God doesn't care if you live in a greenhouse or a red house. He doesn't care if you drive this car or that car. As long as it's within the will of God and it doesn't violate the word of God, you're free to live a pretty free life. See, our works aren't truly good unless they're motivated by the love of God and a desire to glorify him. Everything I do, it's because I desire to please God. Now, now, most of us are kind of more motivated by what we think we can gain or lose from God. So I'm motivated by what I can gain from God. I'm motivated by what I might lose from God. So because I'm in this pool between gaining and losing, I'm trying to make this thing work out for me. So I'm gaining and not losing. I'm afraid I'm going to lose. I'm going to gain. We get in this conflict. What we need to do is just Stop. With the gain and loss thing, and just we can't have a grateful response for the grace He's already given to us. When He took this bread, when He took this cup, it was all by grace. And He says it's a free gift. All you have to do is present yourself. Take it, eat it, live it. Say, how do you do that? We're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. But we have to learn right now. What I want to share with you, the rest of the message, is what we're compelled by. You, you got to what are you compelled by? And it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we go back to verse 14 to 15, we're compelled by two things, love and reverence. Those are the two things we're compelled by. First, let's look at, we're compelled by love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ compels us. Now, if Christ's love, if that's what's compelling us, then we live no longer for ourselves. See, see, that's the test. Who are we living for? Now, you can check that out real quick. Check out your phone. Check out your day timer. Check out your checkbook. Check out the things that you're invested in, spending money on, spending time with. That's where your heart is. 
And I'm seeing less and less commitment for God, less and less commitment to the church. I'm just going to go where I can go, go hear a little something, then I can go live my life the way I want to live. I'll tell you what, you're not the church unless you're using a gift. You can go to church of a thousand people, or there's a thousand gifts. If you go to church of 67 people, there's 67 gifts. If you go to church of 10,000, there's 10,000 gifts in that church. And the love of God compels me. Not entertainment, not feeling good. It compels me. Not out of fear of consequences. Not out of expectation of remorse or reward. People don't understand. Now, I want to tell you this, folks. If you really understand the love of God, and if you really understand grace, you will not want to live irresponsibly. So I just want to say this. If you are living irresponsibly, or you know people who are living irresponsibly in their Christian life, they don't understand love, and they don't understand grace. And that's where you've got to get them. You've got to get them to understand. Don't put them into works and legalism. Put them into grace and put them into the love of God, because that's what compels us. Go over to Romans chapter 4. You turn there, everybody. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 4. I tell you what, I wept as I read this. I don't know how you're going to respond today. You might just say, well, so what? Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Because this is how David, if you look at verse 6, describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. Wow, is that you? That's all of us. All of us have come to faith. God has not imputed our sin for us. Now notice this. Blessed, in verse 7, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. How many of you, your lawless deeds are forgiven? You're blessed. You're blessed. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are not, excuse, are covered. How many of your sins are covered? All of them. All your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed. See the blessing here? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. That's your motivation. That's your motivation for living the Christian life. You don't want to live in an irresponsible way because of this tremendous, gracious grace that God has given to us. I don't know if that's a double word. I don't know. Does that give you joy? Does it give you gratitude? It should. I want to tell you, if God operated on the basis of merit, my sins would send me to hell, and so would yours. That's what we deserve. But by the grace of God, I, if, I, if I was based on merit, I would have to forfeit all this blessing. That This communion would mean absolutely nothing. Because God wasted his time dying for me. Did he? When you read these verses in Romans chapter 4, did you, did you, as I was reading them, did you think, well, if God's not going to count any of my sins against me, it really doesn't matter whether I deal with them or not? Is that the response you had to that verse? As you read? I don't think so. If you really understood that verse, your response would be, thank you, Lord. Purge me from those things. Enable me to become more aware of, your sin, of these sins and compel me to motivate my life through the love and your graciousness towards me. I don't want to sin because it displeases you. So, compelled by love. Finally, we're compelled 
by reverence. Man, have we lost the reverence for God. Our songs we sing have no more reverence for God. It's all about us. Listen to them. It's about what God can do for me. Not all of them, but many of them. Hey, would you go back? We're going to go to two more passages. We'll be done. Go back to Genesis 39. You've got to see this. Because, man, Joseph was in a tough spot. Potiphar's wife had just accused him. Or tried to get him to seduce him. Look at what he says in Genesis 39 and verse 9. He's talking about God. He's talking about his master. There's no one greater in this house than I. And that I is capitalized. He's not talking about himself. Nor has he kept back anything from me. He's talking about now Potiphar and God. But you, because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. See it? He didn't calculate the possible wrath of Potiphar. He didn't do any of that. He, he didn't calculate the failure of his part on God's grace. He's motivated by his reverence for God. I will not commit this sin of adultery or fornication, or whatever, because I love God. Period. Now, go over to 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter, chapter 7. Uh, now, verse 1. We were in 6, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the what? Fear, reverence of God. The word fear is reverence. When I respect God, when, when I'm devoted, I don't want to displease Him. It's when we choose to displease God that we're not reverencing Him. So as we go through this series, we've got a few more yet to go through. I pray that we'll grow in grace more and more that we'll become aware progressively of our continued spiritual bankruptcy, our unmerited, unearned, undeserved fear and favor of God. But instead that we would grow in grace. Grow in the motivation to obey God because of gratitude, because of reverence, and because of love. Are you obeying and serving God today out of threats, out of penalties, out of fears, out of works, or out of joy, and, and out of love, and out of reverence? I urge you, as Paul did, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. 
And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, the renewing of gratitude, the renewing of joy, of love, of reverence. Let that be renewed. Why? Because you're in Christ and your sins will never be imputed against you. That's grace. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you for the exceeding precious promises of blessing that comes to us by grace. And Father, our commitment and our service and our dedication is not out of obligation and duty, but it's out of gratitude. Father, help us to be a grateful, grateful people. Absolutely overwhelmed and awed with reverence for you because of your blessing. Father, that is grace. Thank you that we can enter the Christian life by grace. And one day we will leave this Christian life by grace. But Father, in between are these years and days of grace, of experiencing the tremendous, gracious hand of God. Thank you for that. And Lord, as we are compelled by that grace, that we can say, God, I give you my heart. I love you, God. May that be the song of our heart as we close here today. In Jesus' name, amen.